Overcoming fear and self-doubt is one of the most important things you can learn to do in life, certainly as a director or a filmmaker. I'm George Edelman, Editor-in-Chief at No Film School, host of the No Film School podcast. And my guest today on the podcast is Jeremiah Zagar, director of the film Hustle on Netflix, starring Adam Sandler. And Jeremiah tells us a story in this interview that really addresses, I mean, it's one of my favorite anecdotes that someone's told me about an onset experience. It's beautifully told. It's towards the end of the interview, so you are going to have to bear with us to get to it, but it's totally worth it, and we talk about a lot of great stuff along the way. His movie Hustle is a basketball movie, and if you know me or know this podcast and you know this website, No Film School, and you know our founder, CEO, Ryan Kill, you know basketball and basketball movies are a big part of our uh, lineage. In fact, this kind of calls back to Ryan's own podcast he did a while ago called The First Feature. We'll put a link in the description here and the show notes so you can check out those where he talked about making his first feature, Amateur, which was also on Netflix, also about basketball. And Jeremiah and I talked about it briefly, but basketball movies pose a lot of challenges. We've also interviewed the Winning Time cinematographers. That was HBO's basketball series about the Lakers. And all of this is just to say that it's an extremely difficult thing to do. You're talking about people who are actors trying to pretend to be elite athletes with absolutely crazy physical dimensions that they can't obviously have a lot of the time because they're regular human being actors. So what's amazing about Hustle? There's many things, but one of the amazing things is they used real basketball players, actual NBA players who became actors for the film, worked with an acting coach, worked with Jeremiah. So one of the really interesting things he teaches us about in this interview is general principles for working with actors. He had on one side, Robert Duvall, Adam Sandler, Queen Latifah. And on the other side, he had Juancho Hernan Gomez, who is a basketball player, not an actor, but giving this incredible performance. So how did he meld all that? What did having basketball players allow him to do with the camera? And what is that story that I'm referencing that's really about defeating self-doubt and becoming a better filmmaker in a truly flow state? All that on this interview coming up. Thank you so much for doing this, by the way. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love no Really. Oh, thank you. That's great. Well, I was talking to Ryan Koo about you the other day because he remembered you from the Sundance Labs. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And he made a basketball <laughs> film. That's right. He did. He, like myself, is a big basketball fan. <laughs> so, I mean, we could start there. Are you a big basketball fan? I'm a basketball fan. I mean, big, I think that depends on how you qualify basketball fan. Like, I am a big basketball fan for me. You know what I mean? I watch the playoffs. I watch the Sixers during the year, you know, but like, I'm not a basketball fan. Like I'm a film fan, you know, Adam and, and a lot of the people on the film, th those people like, you know, they know basketball inside and out. Like, you know, I can tell you, you know, uh, how, you know, what crazy techniques were used in, in, you know, in a movie, but I can't tell you, you know, what the moves X's are, what the defenses are. And yeah, what I, sure. I don't know about that shit, but like, I love but, watching the sport. I think it's so beautiful. Sure. And I, I, I start there because this movie does, I, I think it's part of why you did the movie, but I, I want to hear from you. This movie does approach basketball a little differently than a lot of sports movies do. Besides for being a fan, you don't strike me as a natural choice 
to direct a movie like this because of the movies you've done. You've done documentaries, very personal, sort of subversive sometimes films. What brought you into this and what brought you in personally, but also what do you think brought them to you? Well, you know, I can't, I can't speak for them. So I don't know why they thought I was the right guy or why Adam <laughs> thought I was the right guy or why, you know, Ted Sarandos, you know, mentioned to Adam that he should watch my movie. So, you know, you'd have to ask them. Um, but when Adam called me, I mean, obviously I was like amped that Adam Sandler was calling me on the phone to talk to me. I like, I watched his movies so much when I was a kid, you know, like yeah. I, I laughed my ass off, you know, and I think, I think those early films, like, you know, Happy Gilmore, it, it, you know, they're, they're, they're almost like independent, weird, subversive, independent films, you know, totally. like, I mean, even the wedding Billy Madison. Kind of, Billy <laughs> Madison is like an art film. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. Uh, no, Billy Madison's an amazing movie. <laughs> it's an amazing movie. It's so weird. Anyways, and 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 I I love his work. You know, as an actor, I, I love him in Meyerowitz stories and in the Safties film, and you know, in in Punch Drunk Love. And I uh, I was excited when he called me, man. Um, it was cool. And then he sent me the script, and and the script, you know, was beautifully written. You know, Will Fetters, who I got to work with, and, and Taylor, that they, they're wonderful writers. But it was a very classic sports story, and it's not something I thought, you know, that this is what I wanted to do next. I thought mm. I would do something more personal and subversive, as you said. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I'm like a film nerd, so I got like I started to get excited about the possibility of shooting the basketball in a new way. And and Adam, I think part of the reason he wanted to work with me is because I work with non-professional actors, and he wanted to work with you know real basketball players, and that excited me because you know it meant I could shoot the basketball in you know, in a way that was real, that was true. And, you know, we could really experiment, you know, with, with new techniques and, and have fun. Zach and I, you know, my DP, we could like really go for it. Yeah. I think that's like, well, as a basketball fan and a movie fan, I really loved seeing someone and I've enjoyed the way people have done basketball on film in the past. It's interesting and cinematic and everybody has their way and there's all kinds of limitations, but I loved seeing a fusion where the players, you didn't have to work around what they could or couldn't do. That's pretty right. phenomenal, <laughs> you know, to really see. Exciting. It was really exciting. It was like limitless in terms of possibility, you know, and that was just, yeah, thrilling. And, and, and also because the resources are real, because you're working on an Adam Sandler film and Netflix has deeper pockets than, you know, me. Start my film. Start that you can like you could say. All right, let's build a plexiglass floor. You know where it's going to be for three shots in the movie, but I want a plexiglass floor. You know, or like you can do stuff like that and say like, all right, let's let's do you know let's build a a basketball and let's put a camera in it. You know, like let's (laughs) you know like we would just got some of the stuff would you know end up on the cutting room floor, but we could experiment in ways that we weren't able to experiment. You know, in in some of my other films because we had the resources. Tell me about when you started to think about shooting it with, I think, with your DP and thinking about this, okay, it's going to be basketball players, so we can do all kinds of different things. What were your sort of initial, like, like rules or approaches? Or, I mean, there's a, you just mentioned a lot of experimental things, but we're like, how, what was the meat and potatoes of how to approach shooting it with that freedom? 
Well, Zach and I started watching basketball movies. Joe Vesey, who's one of the producers on the movie, made us a list of all his favorite basketball films for the basketball, like why he thought the basketball was good in these films. And then mm. we started watching a lot of documentaries, you know, like you know, Through the Fire and Hoop Dreams and, you know, great documentaries. There's a lot of wonderful basketball documentaries, uh, I will say. And there was no comp. You know, usually mm. I think that, like, you know, that's what I'm looking for, usually. <laughs> which is, you know, whatever, something I can steal from. And Zach and I started talking about like what our favorite sports movies were and they were all boxing films, you know, like Rocky and Creed um, and Raging Bull. And when we watched Raging Bull, suddenly there was like a light that went off, like, a, you know, like an explosion. We were like, oh, that's, that's our basketball. Um, mm. And what was so cool about Raging Bull was, you know, he, he was inside the ring in the way we wanted to be inside the game. One. And two, every game that he shot evolved the cinematic language of the film. And so it would change depending on the character's perspective during the moment of the fight. You know, so whatever Jake yeah. Lamato was feeling, the cinematography would mirror and the filmmaking in general, the 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 editorial, the um, you know, the the sound would mirror his internal struggle. And like that was a revelation for us. And we were like, we could do that with basketball. And the other uh, thing he did in that, in, in Raging Bull is he had these great moments where, you know, Jake LaMotta is getting pummeled and he's looking directly into the camera. So he's getting pummeled by the camera, by the audience. The audience is, is, is in the perspective of the guy pummeling him or of him pummeling the guy, the perspective of the boxers. And, and we were excited about doing that in basketball because it's something you never get to see in basketball. One of the things that one of the players told me is that they never look at the ball. You know that they're mm. what they're looking at is the, the because it's because they they understand the patterns and they understand the dance of basketball. What they're looking at is the movement of the player in front of them. You know they're 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 seeking out their response to the moment and adjusting that's the their that's the dance. They're adjusting their moment to the response. So that interaction between Kermit and Bo, you know that back and forth is they're sizing each other up and they're watching. You know each other and, and trying to judge who will make the move and where they'll move. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy-on, easy-off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Uh, I just, I'm beaming because the way you talk about Raging Bull. Raging Bull's like just an incredible movie. It's like hard to make a better, more beautiful movie and about sports and about, and there are so many parallels, the self-destructive element, the, the way you shot it. And, and you mentioned, I think Scorsese's spoken about it too, that 
idea of evolving the narrative through each fight. Each fight was a step in a narrative direction visually. It's just uh, so yeah, well I've never said. heard him speak about it, but you can feel it. I mean, it's like, it's so obvious when you watch the movie, you're just like, and I'm sure yeah. he has spoken about it. I'm sure he's spoken about it much more eloquently than me. I mean, like he's- And now a- I'm, well, no, and now I'm even thinking about part of the dynamic between Bo and uh, Kermit. I keep thinking of Ant because it's Anthony Edwards, but like their dynamic is so akin to that relationship at the heart of Raging Bull too. Like that fight that we come back to, you know, that one conflict. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it makes me want to rewatch Raging Bull and do a side-by-side. <laughs> so <laughs> just like thinking about the um, the dance, like you said, freeing yourself up to do that a little bit. The actors, pro- you referenced that one of the performers, I think, mentioned to you, like, we don't watch the ball. So they could lead in the dance with you a little bit when it came to the game. How did you do it with the actors? Because that, what you got out of them as players, these are people who don't act professionally. So how did you do, how did you get such good performances and what was the dynamic like working with them? They're non-actors mostly. Well, they hadn't acted before. I wouldn't call them non-actors. Now they are actors. I think yeah, they are, yeah. TV, You're right. Like, you know, I think Juancho Hernan Gomez could walk into any action film and crush it. You know, any any drama and crush it. He's like, he's a, he's a miracle. And It's and, crazy. You know, I Yeah. Did you audition? Did you guys audition him? Did Adam Sandler come to you and say, this guy's already on? How did that work? Yeah, we auditioned a bunch of basketball players. They were all real ball players, And we did sessions with Noelle Gentile, who's the acting coach I had on We the Animals and was the acting coach on this. Uh, and she has a magical quality of being able to bring out, you know, the best in people. And she can connect with anybody from anywhere and find where their intimate core is and how to express that intimate core. And, and, and she did. She did it, you know. She, I, get, I, I like to say I get a lot of credit for her work. She just like... She's amazing and they're amazing. So like they're amazing and she brings it out of them and you're, you know, mm-hmm. you have what you have. And and once we saw Wancho's tape of her working with him, it was clear that he was the guy. Like he's, he was unbelievable. Mm. Yeah. You're giving a lot of credit, which is amazing. And also you kind of like orchestrated and, and brought all these pieces together too, though. Like there's so many times, you know, with kids, for example, which you've also worked with, like you said, People want to work with directors and filmmakers want to work with people who have less experience acting or no experience, or maybe they're just struggling to tap into something like it's so hard to direct actors, right? Under any circumstance, but you guys pulled this off and made people come off convincingly and bare their souls and stuff alongside actors like Robert Duvall, right? Like in the same movie. So it's pretty amazing. I mean, do you have any like advice or tips just about working with actors and how to help them access that and feel comfortable and not freeze on camera and those kinds of things? I would say be specific. I'll tell you a story. I, when I was at the Sundance Labs, which is, you know, you know, sort of raised me as a filmmaker in some ways, you know, or like brought me to the next level of, of filmmaking. I was doing my first session with Ed Harris. He was my like coach for the day. And, and we were doing a scene and I was like, talking to the actress I was a was a was a wonderful actress and I was like kind of being ner- I was nervous and I was sort of saying like I think you should try it like this or like if you walk in like what are you feeling and all this bullshit and Ed Harris like walked up to me and he was like what do you want her to fucking do like just <laughs> tell her what you wanted to do just say exactly what it is 
be specific. What do you want her to do? And he's like, I was like, but aren't I not supposed to do that? Like, let her find. He's like, no, fuck that. Tell her what you want her to do. Go in and do it. And he like, he walked in and he showed her exactly what to do. And he like, was like with a tea kettle and he smashed it down on this, um, on this stovetop and like water went flying everywhere. And it was scary as shit. And we all like took our breath away. And I was like, oh, oh, I should just tell them what I want. What I want, <laughs> and and from then on, it was like you know uh, that's 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 my best advice. It's like you know actors are like people are like anybody. People just want to understand, you know, and they want to understand what's going on in your brain. And and your job is to try and communicate that, you know. And they know what they're doing emotionally. You know, it's like it was about being specific, literally. You know, this is how the camera is shooting you. This is where we are. This is what I need you to do. I need you to get from here to here because the camera is here. And I need you to do it in this way because of the way I'm shooting this scene. And did you change your approach or your attitude or your methodology at all when you're going between the Adam Sandler's Queen Latifah's and and uh, Robert Duvall's of the world to then the, you know, Kenny the Jet Smith and Ann Edwards and Dr. J? <laughs> like, like, does it does it between that vast spread of people? Does what it ever change? What I would say is Noelle has done so much work on the back end or the front end. Noelle has done so much work on the front end, you know, that when those guys get on set, Kenny, Dr. J, Wancho, Anthony, they know it like the back of their hand. You know, they can do it. It's it's like in their blood at that point. So mm. like just in the same way that Adam makes it in his blood and Queen makes it in her blood and you know, and Jordan and all, you know, and, and, and Robert Duvall, like it, they, they have that thing. And so when they get on set, they can just do it. You know, mm. I, I don't need to do very much. You know, it's, it's mostly, it's mostly cast right. And we've done the prep, you know, and, and we, we execute it. How much prep did they get with her? How much time did you set aside for Wants that? Wants to work with her for years. They, wow. Two years. Um, so you, you, know, you cast two years before you started rolling? No, but oh. Noel is continually working with him. We shot over two years. We cast six months before, and Noel started working with him six months before we started shooting. You know, and she continued to work with him. So he's getting continually better. He's also working with Adam, who's amazing, and they're they're vibing off each other, and they learn to yeah. improvise together, and they 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 form a relationship that's not unlike the relationship in the film. So they 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 have a love for each other that that starts to organically, you know permeate the the uh frames and 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 that's thrilling you know to watch. that's another thing about what you bring to the table as a documentary filmmaker also your first feature your documentary about about your own family like bearing a lot on screen was any part of it that there was some confidence in you as like you'll take care of everybody that they can open up and be that that you know how to open up and expose on celluloid or or video or whatever but like in a way that i don't know it seems like that that sort of lends something to this this movie that makes it different than what its plot is which is a sports movie that's familiar you know an underdog story a, a rocky or or the things you've mentioned you know yeah maybe I mean, it's ineffable for me. You know, it's like, I believe in filmmaking. I believe in its transformative power. I like, I believe in storytelling. I love storytelling. Um, and and I, I believe in kindness and openness and transparency, you know, and like 
I hope that my films are good for the subjects in them. You know, I don't want to make things that are mean or cruel or even if we're dealing with painful, painful subjects, I want to make sure that there is a takeaway that is positive for the world, you know, from those films and for the people who are involved in them. I feel like we're kind of in an era of things that want to be dark. That's always the go-to. Does it sort of change some of what you're willing to do or what you're interested in doing that you have a certain mission in your own mind of here's how I want to work and here's the kind of projects I want to put out into the world? I think it's just about ethos. I think like I want to make dark, dark stuff. Like the series I have with HBO right now, Fact of a Body, that I'm doing with Desta Ref, is like dark as hell, but it, <laughs> it, it means something at the end of it. It means something transformative and whole and it, and beautiful that's bet that makes the world, I think, a better place. You know, so I don't I don't think it's about darkness. I think it's about it's about the takeaway. The world is dark. Mm. You know, it's like that's why I think yeah. Hustle is such a beautiful movie right now because people, the world is dark and people want joy and lightness and they want to believe and they want hope. And, and that's what a sports movie gives you. It gives you hope, you know, that you can overcome. And I, I think that, you know, well, there's a lot of dark subject matter, but I think, you know, in the end, I'm not a hopeless person. In the end, I'm trying to look at a hopeless world and find something to believe in because I have children and, and I want them to have a future. <laughs> I think that's yeah. essentially my feeling about the world. No, I can certainly relate. And I've found, I, I mean, I found myself digging deeper into sports for whatever reason, maybe because it's a place where there's like, things are possible, there's hope. It's something of a meritocracy, you know, hard work and stuff in a darker time in the last few years. I think the movie feels like it's organically grown out of this this period of time and and is a, while it's a somewhat familiar refrain, it feels like it's it's very much a product of this specific time and place. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, when Adam called me, it was the beginning of the pandemic and it was like, it was tough out there. And, and I read the script and I was like, this is funny and sweet and, you know, hopeful. And I was like, I kind of <laughs> need now. you know, we all need that right now. Yeah, right. No, I mean, definitely there's something in that, but it does go to places that are uncomfortable, certainly. Like, and I think that that's part of what makes it work is there's something for them to triumph over or something for them to attempt to triumph over. Yeah, and they're flawed um, characters. I mean, I think that's cool about the script. What what Will and Taylor did is like they, they're not they're not so simple. Nobody in the nobody in the movie is simple, and I think that's cool. Did you look at other kinds of movies outside of the sports? Like when you study, because you mentioned you like to look for things to be inspired by or to, to to grow out of or to homage to or however you want to put it. Did you look at stuff outside of the Raging Bull? And sports, I, I, there's definitely some Rocky in there and you're from Philadelphia. So but like, was there stuff that was like, not even in that category that just inspires you that you go to, that you watch or research that, that sort of gets you going? Yeah. I mean, we, we just talked about a lot of the stuff that like, you know, Zach and I talked about a lot about the stuff that we just like intrinsically loved, you know, in We the Animals, you know, like it's the same shit. It's like the Ken Loach, you know, cinema mm -hmm. verite aesthetic, you know, that we sort of like just love and I've always loved and and we we try you know the parents Malik like you know I think that's like sort of our vibe it's like we try to do like it's sort of a mix between you know Ken Loach Terrence Malik and and Volker Schlondorf or something it's like <laughs> weird you know European verite people who make weird shit I I, I I I like that shit and you know and a little bit of a little bit of Texas yeah. I mean, and you can, it's again, it's such an interesting thing to lay on top of sports, which is just 
traditionally shown and experienced in a different visual language than that. Yeah, and I think that was one thing that Creed did really well. I think when I saw Creed, I was like, yeah, of course you can do that. Like, of course you can make it real. Like, of course it can feel, you know, like an independent art film, you know, with a sports story. Why not? You know, and I think that, that that's what they did so well in that film. You guys shot on, what did you guys shoot on again? We shot on the Sony Venice. We shot on a ton of different formats. I mean, we, we shot on the Sony Venice and, and mostly, but then it's it's also, you know, we, I work with this guy, Seth at RCO, and, and we spent a long time figuring out how to, you know, incorporate film grain in different ways to make it feel, you know, more like the, the films of the 70s. So we, you know, we use these old hawk anamorphics and, um, you know, and we, we tried very much to make it, you know, to give it a more gritty vibe and 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 netflix and and sandler were, were into that i mean i i would have loved to have shot on film it just wasn't possible for this one yeah i mean i it's funny it definitely feels like it was knowing that it was netflix and film and and it was going to be a digital medium but there it felt like there was definitely a major effort to get it to reflect a film medium or stock or those kinds of things and that showed through what were the things i mean do you have advice for people who are thinking, well, I'm going to shoot on a digital format, but I really want to capture that look. Is anamorphics, what are the other things you can do? Yeah, I mean, I think you can use vintage lenses. I mean, I think it helps to use lenses that aren't so clean. You know, mm-hmm. I think, I think a, a, a lot of what film does is it, you know, it is organic. You know, it's, it's a material mm-hmm. that is sort of moving and um, alive in some ways. And digital, the digital medium is not that. You know, so um, what you're trying to do is you're trying to add elements that bring life to it, you know, that have quirkiness and more flaws, essentially. And you know, so so lens choice is one of those things. I think film grain is one of those things. You know, certainly in the color, you can you can push the color and look at films that have, you know, films that are shot on film and try to match them. I mean, that's a lot of what we do. You know, we looked at Beautiful, I think, a lot for the Spain stuff. And we said, oh, mm. like, like, isn't it interesting, you know, what they did in Beautiful and how it's different from... Um, how you usually think of Spain, like all these warm tones. And isn't it interesting, all this fluorescent light, natural light, right. you know? So um, you looked at the color the color palette of some of the films <laughs> and then decided we'll try to match some of that to evoke that organic feeling. We do a lot of that. We do a lot of like saying this is, you know, when we look a lot of photography too, you know, we, we mm-hmm. go, we, we have like, you know, a library of photography books and, um, and reference that we, that we scroll through and say, Oh, wouldn't it be cool if this, or wouldn't it be cool if that? And, and, you know, mostly what we're referencing is documentary photography shot on film, you know, and we're saying, Oh, is, isn't this light really cool? You know, can we do this? Like, how do we, you know, let's, let's, let's create natural practical lighting that feels, and that's how Zach always starts. I mean, he's, he's amazing. And, and, you know, Bill, who was our gaffer was amazing. And, and we would start with like, what is the location giving us, you know, mm. how do how do they light these courts? And that's why we sort of picked that Pasagino's location where they do the, the boa challenge is because like their lights mm-hmm. are amazing there already. And so you're just augmenting what's already there and saying like, how do we grow this out? How do we make this, you know, a little more cinematic? How do we make sure like people's faces are lit? But like, this is the base, the base is real. Mm. Yeah. And then that, like you said, the things that are quirky and honest in front of the camera kind of help give it that feeling regardless of, of format. Yeah. And that comes down to sound too. I mean, like Rui and Tom, you know, um, and, and Elmo were, were aware of the ethos that like, you know, you, when you, the, 
the sound could also be a little dirty. You know, it could come in and out and you could, you know, hear voices in different places than you'd normally hear them. They don't have to be all up front and present. A little more like uh, the Robert Altman thing with sound sometimes. So just like allowing it to be organic. Yeah, yeah, just not like overdubbing everything. Like you can feel it in the basketball games. Like sometimes their voices like drift away from us. Like they're like close, then they're far as they get far. And like you can kind of hear pieces of it and it doesn't matter. Like there's voices chattering in the background that like, who knows what it is? Like that's sort of the Robert Altman thing. But like, yeah, it's it's about it's about making sure that, you know, it it has the quality of a documentary, that it's not so perfect. And like we respond to that imperfection and and we think it feels real. You know, it's like in some ways it's like with my documentaries, I'm always trying to make them feel more like you know, fiction films. So with right. fiction films, I'm always trying to feel more like documentaries. Instead of trying to impose narrative on on the mess of reality, you were sort of like, how do I get a little of the mess of reality into this narrative? That's a perfect way to describe it. <laughs> well, you kind of described it and then I, I reframed it. But that I, I, I want to get back to the actors again before we run out of time and the performances and their the way they play. Because I'm curious if, and I know, you know, there's been a lot of, of stuff in the media that like, you know, they, they were like, and Edwards didn't want Juan Cho to dunk on him or something. <laughs> so I'm not going to let him do that or something. But like when they, that's, did that's they funny. bring some performance elements to how they played? And did you talk to them a little bit about playing and acting playing? <laughs> like, cause you'll hear people also talk about basketball in a context that there's a, like a lot of acting in how people play basketball. That's interesting. I think they brought that themselves. I mean, they wanted to have fun and like they wanted to act and um, they wanted to play ball. And the ball is like, you know, that's what they, that's their job. So that wasn't like the mm-hmm. thrilling part for them. The thrilling part for them was the acting, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and they had the, I mean, Anthony and Wancho are friends and they just had a great time with each other, like fucking with each other and like, you know, <laughs> heads and like, they, they loved it. Like, and I loved working with them. You want to hear a story? This is, yes. this is, this is a good story. <laughs> so this is an exclusive. You get an exclusive. The, uh, so, um, the final game, the, not the final, final, but the, the combine, the, the, their, yes. their kind of emotional pinnacle game. It was written that Wancho or Bo, when Kermit waved at his daughter, he would push him to the ground and he would pull back his hand and Stanley would yell his name and he would stop himself. Mm. That's how it was written. That's how it was storyboarded. And it worked. And then we got on set and there's like 500 people there and it's like a giant La Stadium La Salle. And Wancho has just been drafted to the... Um, or traded, so traded to the Celtics, and he's okay. got to get out in two hours, and we got to shoot this scene. <laughs> oh, no. He's got to get on a plane to fly to the Celtics to get, like, you know, to get uh, all the all the testing and stuff. So we're shooting this scene, and it just doesn't work. Like I watch it, and it feels so corny and so off. Like, mm. of course, he wants to hit the guy. Like he's, it's like the guy just did, did this awful thing. He's his body, like the emotion, like he's already pushed him to the ground. He's got this adrenaline that like it's, it's pouring out of him. He can't stop it. And you could feel it in the scene. So when he tried to stop himself, it felt really unnatural because like it wasn't what his body wanted to do. It wasn't what Wancho wanted to do. 
And I watched it and it felt bad. And, and I was like, we got to, you know, this, and we got to get him out. So we got to shoot it, but like, it doesn't work. And I, I, I'm, I'm like, this is, this is awful. And you, you kind of, when you're directing, you get like this tunnel vision, you know, where you can't think about like time or space or people. You just think about the scene and what's working, what's not working and how it works in the edit. Like that's how my brain works at least. And, and I'm watching it and I'm like, this sucks. And I'm like, do it again, do it again. So I go up into the stands and I'm all the way up in the stands and they do it again and I watch it and it sucks. But suddenly I'm like, I get it. I get what, I get it, I get it. And I, I go down and I like look at Wancho and I'm like, Wancho, what's wrong with this scene doesn't work. And he's like, he's like, what do you mean? And, and, and Anthony's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, you want to hit him. Right. And watch was like, yeah, I want to fucking hit him. And I was like, but you can't hit him. He's like, I know I can't hit him. And I was like, but you need to hit him. And watch was like, I need to hit him. And, and I'm like, so you gotta, you gotta hit him, but you, at the last second, you gotta miss. And if I'm in the crowd, if I'm all the way up in the front seat, in, in the back of the, in the stadium, I can't, I can't see if you hit him or not. The whole audience is just going to gasp. Like we're all going to just like are all we're just going to stop and our jaws are going to drop and we're going to stand and we're going to we're going to try and look over and see what happened because we're going to think you pummeled the guy but you're going to have just missed him. And and Wancho was like, "What do you mean?" And Anthony like is like is like I'm like Anthony, lie down on the ground. Let me show you. So Anthony lies down on the ground and I just slam my hand down as hard as I can right next to Anthony's face and Anthony just smiles at me. And, and Wancho smiles at me and they're like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. it. That's it. And like, it comes from this tremendous clarity and confidence of, of, I think what, what, what makes basketball so special that like, when you can see something work, you can feel it in your bones and you know it. And like, they knew it and I knew it. And we just like, you know, it was like, we had two hours left or an hour and a half at that point to shoot it. And there was no like argument or like, or difficulty in saying like, yeah, this is what we're doing because you could feel it. And like, mm-hmm. that comes from a confidence of like being an amazing athlete and, and understand and, and trust between each other, you know, and, and, and then we shot it and you could feel it like immediately it was like, oh, this works. Like, this is way cooler. And it was like, uh, it felt suddenly cinematic and like a moment and everybody was like, yeah, that's cool. And, and, and I guess that, that's what I'm saying. They loved it. I loved it. It was, it all worked out. <laughs> that's a great story. I love it. And I love that you, there's so many things that are so cool about that. I mean, obviously describing it as the three of you recognizing kind of being in the flow, like you, like you say, like you might be, they might be as the, the most elite athletes in the world, like the flow where it's just like, that works. That's the adjustment. And now we're running. You know, I was just going to say, I've been thinking a lot about this. There's this article that I read when I was a kid in the New Yorker. This is sort of, you know, um, you know, not here nor there where it was, but it was about this thing called chunking. Huh. Chunking was this thing that geniuses do. I am not a genius. I'm much closer <laughs> to an idiot. Like, this is this thing that geniuses do that where they like break the world down into patterns. And it was talking about like a brain surgeon, Yo-Yo Ma and Michael Jordan. And they were talking about why they're geniuses. And it was that it was that they they understand you know the brain surgeon understood the brain so well you know that he could he could do things that other brain surgeons couldn't because he had broken down this very complex system into simple patterns you know that's mm-hmm. what yo yo ma had done with music and that's what michael jordan had done and the michael jordan one really resonated with me because it was like they talked about the hours you know that he would spend practicing and and how he knew the game and so that you know when you were watching you know him hit that final shot and why he could do it with one second left, you know, it was because he understood the pattern so much better than the other players that he could fake them out. 
right? He, mm-hmm. he understood that their patterns and his patterns were going to collide and that he understood the patterns better. So he knew where they were going to go and he mm-hmm. could, he, he, he could pivot and, you know, hit that final shot. And I think, you know, as I make more and more films, I'm better able to understand the patterns of filmmaking and, and storytelling and directing. And so that when things don't work, I can pivot and try to make the shot, you know, like when I was younger, I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to So well said. I was, that was the next thing I was going to say too. I'm glad you cut me off because I was going to say, you identified that it sucked. You said it like over and over again in the series. You're like, this is not good. And I can't live with it. Like I have to find the other thing. Confidence to live, to, to recognize that. And then to be like, I'm looking for it and I'm going to find it. It is like, we think that we, a lot of the public will watch a basketball player like that Michael Jordan example and think he just improvised it. But that's like countless hours of practicing the counter and the counter to the counter and the counter to the counter to the counter to know like which one to go that your body does it, your brain doesn't do it. So as a filmmaker, you're kind of like, no, that's not it. I have to pivot. I have to dribble step. I have to this, you know, that kind of thing. That's beautiful. And you, you feel it in your body. Like you feel it when it doesn't work, you can feel it in your body. You know, it's like, and, and to have, Actors like Wancho and Anthony in that moment who trusted me enough to understand that I had a feeling that I'm sure they felt a million times on the court was like yeah. a very, was a very cool thing to, for me. And how do you, this is, the, this is something that's like, I think comes with experience probably, but you don't have like tons and tons and tons of experience. How do you not get hit by waves of, of fear or doubt when you come to the moment that's like, oh no, this sucks. And you're not paralyzed. You moved into action. Like, how do you, some people, that's a hard thing to do for a lot of people. Yeah. I don't have that much doubt because like, I'm not that frightened of failure. I I think because like, Mm. I just like, I'm sure it's a failure anyway. You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) I, well, I can relate to that. (laughs) All my movies are sort of, you know, I like, I have trouble watching my movies after I finish them because like they, 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 they just all feel like, you know, there's, I, I failed in so many ways, you know? So like, I know that's going to happen. So like all, all I can do is try to make it better. You know, I'm just like sitting there going like, how do I make this better? How do I make this better? How do I make this better all the time? And to have collaborators like Zach or Stu, who, you know, um, or, or even my assistant, Caitlin or Jeremy, my producer, or like people who I trust intrinsically, you know, and have worked with forever. It was what relieves that fear because like, I know that they support me and they're there for me and like, and they trust me. It's it's trust. It really all comes down to trust. Like, you know, that's, that's what alleviates the fear is a sense of communal trust. That everyone's going to kind of pick up as much as they can. And that that we're doing the best we can. We're just going to do the best we can. What can we do besides that? Like, this is our job and we, we just, we're fighting to do the best we can and, and we trust each other. So like, let's go out there and do it. You know, it's like, it, it, it's it's uh i i i'm just assuming but i i it seems like it's in the proof is in it is that the the people who are who are learning acting or developing those skills for the first time or being exposed to this sort of sets for the first time felt that trust and safety it, it feels palpable in the movie that nobody was worried about how they would come off that everybody was willing to to go all the way you know and do the best they could i think that is true I think that's true, you know, and I think Adam inspires that trust too. You know, he's, 
he's so uh, storied and famous and, and they believe, you know, it's like working with somebody who's done it so many times. It's like, yeah, working with me, like, you know, my team knows that I'm, I'm good. I got their back, but like, you know, it, it, having that, you know, emblem of like this, this guy's done it a billion times. Uh, it's a good point. Also, that. he's certainly not afraid of what's going to happen. Like he'll try any, he'll do all kinds of stuff and bear his soul and then go right back at it. So I'm sure that that brings something to it as he's well. He's fearless as an actor. He's fearless as an actor. Amazing. Yes. Well, thank you so much for taking all this time. It's been really fun. We loved the movie and we're grateful to have you on and, and look forward to what you do next. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Jeremiah, for coming on the podcast. I could nerd out about both basketball and movies endlessly. In fact, I do on text threads on emails, in person, in my own mind. I kind of love when the two things converge like this in a way that satisfies both things as much as this film does. So this was a real treat for me. But I want to highlight again that there were a lot of valuable filmmaking lessons, particularly what Jeremiah talked about with how he handles self-doubt, being surrounded by people who trust him and who he trusts, but also recognizing that perfect is not really in the cards that as he says, and I laughed when he said it, but like it's failure, failure is going to happen. It's already a failure. He's just doing the best he can. I think there's something to dig deeper into on that mentality and approach that we are doing our best and that a perfect outcome doesn't exist. And that sort of frees you, I think, to recognize like, oh, this isn't good. It's got to be better as opposed to, oh, this isn't good. I'm doomed. I think if you're going to survive this industry, but really anything, you have to have some application of that mindset that you can't always be trying to be flawless. Perfect is the enemy of the good. Mistakes happen. And your job is just, can I make this better? How can I make this better? And he says that so well. So thank you so much for listening again. Be sure to check out everything we've talked about today and more at nofilmschool.com. Like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to leave a comment. If you have questions, you can send them to editor at nofilmschool.com. We'll try to answer them on our weekly show, which comes out usually on a Thursday. And these interviews always come out on a Tuesday. Thanks for making it all the way to the end and have a good day. <laughs>